Hello, I'm Eric Brown, host of The Audit and Managing Director of IT Audit Labs. You are listening to The Audit, presented by IT Audit Labs. Today we'll be talking about virtual private networks, or VPNs for short, and we'll be joined by team members Nick Mellum and Joshua Schmidt for conversation on VPNs and the recent Avanti breach. So please like, follow, and share the podcast for interesting conversations on cybersecurity and a little bit of conversation about Nick's cats. All right. Welcome to The Audit presented by IT Audit Labs. My name is Joshua Schmidt. I'm the producer. We are joined today by Nick Mellum and Eric Brown. We're going to be talking uh, about VPNs and um, even diving into a little bit of a news article about the Avanti breach and the exploitations around the VPNs VPNs, uh, there. So we're going to get started out. Uh, Eric, can you give us kind of a background on VPNs, how they're used, how they work? What are they good for? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Josh. So a VPN, virtual private network. It, it gets more complicated from there, but essentially what it does is it is a piece of software that interacts with the network, the internet, the network in your house and your computer to form a private tunnel, if you will. So to, to use maybe an analogy, a physical analogy, so you, you're going from, you're on the highway and you're going from one side of a mountain to the other and there's a tunnel that's blasted through the mountain. That tunnel, you could perceive that as a VPN, right? It's a point-to-point connection that the only way to get into the tunnel is to enter it on one side and then you, you exit on the other and it's bi-directional so you, you could go either way. And the, the virtual piece is... That means that it can be set up uh, and and taken down really from anywhere on the internet. So at home or at work, you can establish a VPN connection between two computers. And then any traffic that passes along that tunnel should, in theory, be encrypted and not visible to anyone else. So any data that's entering the network from the the PC side or the computer side goes through this virtual private tunnel and it exits somewhere else, but nothing has intercepted that traffic in between. So to take a step further, and why is that important? Well, when we're at home, for example, and sitting on the couch with our phone or our laptop, and we're browsing the internet, that traffic is touching multiple networks. So it's going out from our computer. It's likely hitting our wireless access point. Then that wireless access point is connected to our internet router. And then from that router, it connects to our internet service provider or ISP, connects to many devices on their network. And then from that ISP, be it whoever you like, Comcast um, is, a, is a popular one in this area, but there are lots of internet service providers. So it goes from that Comcast or that Xfinity connection to another network, and then potentially to three, four, five dozens of other networks until it arrives 
at the uh, at its destination. So when the internet was developed, we kind of took physical aspects of our, the world around us and we made that into a, a virtual connection. So the, 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 the way computers talk to each other is through packets, packet of data. And just think of that as me mailing Nick a letter, which by the way, I did the other week and he still hasn't gotten it yet, even though it was set priority, Nick. Um, but anyway, it goes from me to the post office and then it's routed in trucks and buildings to, to finally it gets to its destination. And um, those packets are what carry information across the internet. So if you think about the, the bringing it back to the VPN, sent Nick a, a package and at any point in time, as it's going from one post office into a, a van or a truck or an airplane, someone could open that package and look at the contents, then, you know, retape it and move it along to its next destination. And Nick or I would not know that that had really occurred unless we had some sophisticated controls around that package. So bringing that back to the VPN, the VPN creates that virtual tunnel that essentially allows me to ship a package or a, a letter to Nick without anybody else having access to open that package. So think of it as I put that package in a van, I locked that van, that door, um, you know, put that package in a cage, locked it up. Nobody else has the key. And it goes from me, um, once it gets in that van, you know, to the carrier on the other side, wherever that destination is, they unlock it and then they hand it to Nick. So that we, we create that virtual private network between us and we can, we can send packets or we can send information along that tunnel. And that's important because we want to, in some cases, ensure that the, the data that we're sending between our computer and, say, our, our work or our office environment is not visible to anyone else. And that's important because we have standards like CGIS, for example, or, or criminal justice information. So the data that the... The, the BCA or the FBI collect and disseminate to law enforcement offices. It's protected information. We don't want that information being viewed by people who aren't supposed to view it. And, and that's just one example of information that we would want to keep private. So we wouldn't want that, inter that, that traffic going over the internet unencrypted. So we use that virtual private connection to, to essentially guarantee that the computer that I'm using, it's going to be talking to the computer on the other end of the criminal justice information network is that, that traffic is encrypted and no one else can intercept that traffic. So it sounds like on a personal level, VPNs are really useful for securing your, your online data, maybe some your shopping habits, um, 
keeping your data from being leaked to malicious actors or even just to companies that you might not want to have access to your information that will regurgitate that as a marketing effort or some something of that nature. Is, is that correct? It, it's, a, it's a good point that you bring up, Josh, and VPNs shouldn't necessarily give a false sense of security. Yes, if you establish a VPN connection from your computer in your house, uh, that VPN connection to the, the terminating VPN server is going to be encrypted. So your ISP can't see that traffic, right? All they see is the tunnel connection that's going out to that VPN service provider. We get into privacy, but we also have companies that set what they call super cookies in our browsers. Companies were using information on people's browsers and computer types to charge different prices for services. An example was a hotel chain, and I don't remember which one it was. If an entity was coming to that hotel chain from a Mac computer, it was inferred that that customer may be willing to spend more money on a hotel room, so therefore the prices were inflated. And that was all done through fingerprinting, um, being able to get information from that particular browser. So just to be clear, your ISP is collecting that data, whether it's CenturyLink or or what have you, they're collecting and selling that information. Yes. And is there a sense of what the ratio is of how much they're taking in like membership fees or internet access fees compared to what they're making on on selling your information? Has that become kind of the the MO at this point uh, is to gather that information? Has that become more valuable than say uh, your $75 a month uh, CenturyLink uh, bill? You know, we could go off the deep end here on this one, Nick, I think where <laughs> um, ISPs are collecting this information um, government entities are collecting this information off of the, the, the network layer and profiling, profiling and indexing everything about us. Um, we could probably go down that rabbit hole too at, at some point, but yes, they are collecting it. These aren't, um, beneficial organizations. They're, they're, they're not doing this out of the goodness of their hearts, so to speak. When you look at Google Photos, you know, Google years ago started Google Photos like, hey, upload all your photos for free, right? We're going to store all your photos at no cost. Mm. Well, I mean, if we realistically think about that, right, that's Google is not a benevolent uncle. It's a trillion dollar organization. And they took all of that information that they collected from Google Photos and they made relationship information. You know, am I in a photo? Am I holding a Coke can? Who am I with in the photo? Where am I in the photo? Collecting all of that metadata, collecting all of that visible data and building relationships and algorithms 
to better sell to us as an individual. If you want to test that and you have some photos in Google Photos, if you have a photo that has some words in it, well, just type in, you know, a, a word, right? Like um, Pizza Hut. And it'll find photos that you are in. If you're, if you're in Pizza Hut, it'll, it'll and, and there's that, that word there in the picture, it'll index that. So that, that's, that's pretty interesting. I mean, interesting might not be the right word for it, but it's pretty interesting. The sophistication of that image reading component that they're doing on trillions of pictures that, that they've amassed over the years um, and, and how they're analyzing them. So I'll, I'll pause here, Nick, because you probably have some things to add to well, it, too. I was going to say, we can definitely tell that how passionate Eric is about this and privacy. <laughs> and I think it's safe to say that Eric doesn't back up his photos to Google uh, for safety. Um, I was just going to bring I was going to bring up earlier about being able to watch Netflix uh, all over the world, checking what you want to see. And and uh, but I did want to bring up or ask Eric another question, if I can. I was just curious, Eric, are you running a VPN at home um, on your personal devices? And if so, uh, just which, which one are you using? Yeah, so I, I do I do use a VPN, but I. I use it selectively. Like I don't always have it turned on. Um, and I've used it at the router level before. Is it the Eero network? Oh, so, so Eero devices. Yeah. That, that product owned, but purchased by Amazon, but you, you can, you can, um, essentially take a, um, a Linksys router and you install, a different operating system on it that will al allow you to essentially set up a VPN with your VPN provider of choice so that everything that comes out of your house is or, or out of your network is going over that VPN. Um, pros and cons to that, uh, of course, you know, if everything is going over that tunnel, there may be certain sites that restrict access um, to you, but it, it's kind of a personal choice of, of, you know, how far down the rabbit hole you want to go on either side. The, the one thing I would point out is that if you are using a VPN connection that's not provided to you from your organization, make sure that you're not using a free VPN client that free VPN client is going to, the, I mean, again, right? Nobody's giving anything away for free. It's not charity organizations. Right. They're going to be collecting information about you. And now they have access to all of your browsing habits uh, based on you going through their pipe uh, to the network or wherever you're going to the internet or wherever you're going. So if, if you are interested in going down the personal VPN route, you want to look at a, a few things, uh, depending on, again, on your level of, of, of interest in privacy. One of them, one of the things you might consider is a VPN that does not log activity. So there are, some VPN providers that 
don't store any logs of your activity. So presumably you're connecting to the internet through them. You can imagine all of the data that's logged. If you don't want that data logged, go with a provider that guarantees that they don't log access, even with a government subpoena, right? And there are organizations that that, that don't log because they don't even have the technical or they've disabled the technical capabilities to log. Another one might be a VPN like Proton VPN. Uh, that's the one where, I use. That's a good one, yeah. So yep. They don't even log, they don't, their servers are not in the the U.S. They're, they're in Switzerland. So the U.S. has no ability to extradite data uh, from that environment. And they're stored, encrypted, et cetera, et cetera. But Nick, since you use them, anything else that you want to advocate for Proton? Well, that the biggest thing you said there was that the servers are not here. They don't have a cap. I think it's 10 gig bandwidth. Um, and that's a big piece for me. I have a 10 gig dedicated line running to my house. Um, and we, a lot of our stuff, um, we have the Euro network or Euro, however you say it. Um, but you can't put your own VPN um, on the router level there. You have to use their built-in. Um, and, you know, like you said, I don't want to use it. It's free. It's a free service. Um, well, it's part of the package you can buy with them. But either way, I, I like the Proton service because of all the, you know, items we were just discussing. But equally is not logging and the data is not in the United States. Um, the bandwidth is one of the bigger pieces for me. And it is it is relatively inexpensive. I think you can get like a lifetime subscription and it's like $40, $50 a year. Don't quote me on that. Um, just never had a problem with it. I also use their email service as well. Um, quick plug for them. If you're not using proton mail, um, who knows what's happening with that, with that data. But, uh, you know, for as far as VPNs go that I would definitely recommend checking out the, the v, uh, proton one, and especially because I've used other servers or services and, for some reason, I feel like I, I would always run into issues with connectivity or getting flagged with something or when it was just a clunky experience. And maybe that was just my own experience. Um, Josh, are you for using a VPN or, or do you have any experience with it? Yeah, so I'm using ExpressVPN. Um, I'm not sure how that stacks up against the other ones. Proton sounds really interesting. The other thing I've been considering is, you know, using the password manager or uh, looking for one that offers ad blocker services. So it's kind of an all-in-one uh, security tool. Um, I'd love to hear what you guys think about that. The other thing I would like to point out is, you know, I've used the VPN doing my browsing and shopping online, but I have noticed when I try to buy tickets on Ticketmaster, that's one spot where I really have to shut off my my VPN. It will not let me uh, buy the tickets to the XL Energy Center or wherever I want to be going. And uh, pretty frustrating. Um, but yeah, looking for kind of an all-in-one package, Proton sounds great. But if, if you guys have any more insights on on how to choose one that's good for personal use, um, and then also, you know, thinking about um, when you're working with an organization, how do we how do we choose a VPN if you're working with a client for IT Audit Labs, for example? That's funny that you brought up the shopping uh, thing, Josh, because I, I was going to bring that up as well. We uh, through the Euro uh, network, you're able to block malicious content, websites, um, anything you can think of. And every now and again, my wife will yell up and she can't get to a specific website to buy something. And maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe it's by design, but I, 
I might have to implement that on our Amazon account. Further on that. Um, uh, I was going to just, you asked uh, one of your other questions for organizations. And I think, you know, personally for me, the conversation, you know, we've been using VPN for years, but especially after 2020 with COVID organizations were sending everybody home, not only everybody home, but then we had an influx of users figure out, wow, this is going to stick. I don't need to stay in my home state where my organization is. Um, I'm one of them as well. And, but people started leaving, people started going on vacations. They started going out of the country, not only leaving the state, but whether that's okay with the organization is not up for us to debate. It was happening either way. And one way to, you know, seamlessly, seamlessly, you know, make this a possibility is a VPN, right? It still allows, it still allows you to give that flexibility to your uh, employees, or they could, you could, they could even print something back to um, a specific room that they're working on, or or what have you, um, access those files in a uh, safe manner from wherever they are. Um, and then to Eric's point, you know, you might have a playbook on your firewall or wherever, and it's blocking traffic from a specific country. If you're traveling in or out with a VPN, you're able to trick that, whether you use that for malicious or not, you know, we're talking about it as in an ethical way that we would use it. So lots there, but really for me, I probably pay, started paying more attention to the reasons for how strong VPNs are during COVID, just because there was so much movement and there was a lot all at once. So Eric, in your opinion, are VPNs a pretty good tool to keep things secure? I mean, we've seen some recent um, exploitations in the news are VPN secure? Well, that's a that's an interesting question, Josh, and and I, I think it, again it depends on how they're used. They can be secure, you know. And, and Nick gave some some examples of, of how that might work. Um, things when we work with an organization, we, we that we would talk about are what's their use case for the VPN? What countries are they going to be operating from? Some countries have encryption standards that don't allow devices to be encrypted or would unencrypt traffic at, at the network level. So th th that's part of the conversation that, that we'd have around the use case for the VPN. Mm -hmm. But the way in which a lot of companies leverage cloud services now and, and the distribution of technology across their networks, VPNing in from or, or connecting from different places around the country is becoming this the standard of way of, of doing business with cloud hosted services. Uh, it's pretty easy to get to those services from just about anywhere. So it, it, it on, on the, on, on the customer side, on, on the corporate side, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a little more complicated. Most companies use VPNs. There, there are other ways to encrypt traffic without using a VPN. Um, on, on the consumer side of things, VPNs do add a level of security. The, the, the area to be cautious about is that it, it's not a false sense of security. And we talked about a couple ways where it could be a false sense of security, right? Where you, you see there's XYZ VPN company is a free VPN service and you install that, you think you're good to go, but they're logging everything that, that you're doing. And you might not be aware that that's happening or there's other things, other technologies that are profiling you. Even if you do have a VPN service like Proton, 
there are other services that are uh, that, that are logging what you're doing. So I, I think it, just about with everything, it, it comes with a, a multifaceted approach in general. If you want to be a little bit more secure and you want to just you, you want to have that VPN in place to secure some of the, the network connections that you have, it's not a bad idea. Just know why you're doing it. You guys are out there in the field working with organizations to mitigate their risk. Um, are you helping them select the appropriate VPN for their business? Or, or what are some of your key considerations in, um, in choosing a VPN? Sure, Josh, we, we do. Uh, some of the considerations that we have is, you know, what are they using today and is it working? Five years ago, I'd say the, the VPN technologies were, were a little bit different and the, the way in which devices connected to the network were, were a little bit different. We've worked in municipalities that have a police force with computers in their cars that are always on and always connected through a VPN service. And at the time, some of those, the services that that the law enforcement officers needed in those cars required a consistent IP address. So a VPN connection was a way with, with certain VPN services was a way to provide that consistent IP address, no matter where that vehicle was in the city. The things that we're talking about now, though, are adaptability to service. So if we have organizations that use cloud for connectivity, it's all about speed. How are we getting consistent speed to that cloud rather than VPNing? And, and this is, you know, going going back a couple of years, right? This is still kind of the standard where and people, employees, staff, what have you, would VPN back into the central office or satellite office and then those satellite offices would connect into the central office and then that central office would have the connection out to the cloud service provider so you're doing a little bit of routing of traffic where everything is kind of funneling through one or more single points of failure now we're seeing more diversification to the cloud entities where you're working with an enterprise vpn type of service that you're riding over their network and you're as a company able to control policies through virtual firewalls on their network to get to your services. So if I need to get to Azure services at a company that, I, that I'm working with, rather than go through that kind of daisy chain of connecting, you know, VPNing into their corporate environment and bouncing around, you know, 16 hops later to get into that cloud, I, I'm now connecting into a point of presence east, west, or maybe central uh, from the, the the VPN provider that then has direct connections, say, into Azure, and I'm terminating off of that environment into the corporate Azure environment, all of that controlled through corporate firewall policy, but I've gone from 16 hops to four, as an example. Long story short, you can tune enterprise VPNs to be able to provide better access to remote employees where in some cases, you know, Nick had mentioned he's got a really high speed connection at his house. It's probably higher than some company's internet connection. So he's not going to be throttled by speed 
getting into Azure services, if he's going through that, the, the VPN type of connection that I'm describing versus VPNing back into a corporate network and then fighting with other users to get that bandwidth in a centralized pipe. I probably got, went down the rabbit hole on that, but Nick, I'll let you clean it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, you squeezed a lot of the juice there. I, uh, the one portion I was going to bring up, something that I love and I think we do really well at IT Auto Labs here is when we're providing those services of what Eric's talking about, you know, curating a, a VPN, another avenue that doesn't get talked about a whole lot and it's not quite as cool is the policy and procedure protection. How are you implementing after the implementation of the hardware? How are you following up with policies and procedure and drafting those and, and, and training staff? You know, let's say every time you're going to go to the Starbucks coffee shop, Caribou, whatever your favorite coffee house is, you know, the policy says you have to be connected to VPN. Maybe you travel a lot for work. You have to be, you're in the airport. I hope that nobody's connecting just directly without a VPN to, to that network. Um, that, that's alarming. That would be scary to do that, uh, especially at a coffee shop or an airport, even a hotel for the organization. You know, Eric, Eric talks so much about how we can tune the VPNs, but tuning a procedure, policies, training documents for a specific organization to train staff and protect them for do's and don'ts for a VPN, I think is equally as important. Um, we don't want to just install or bring a technology into the organization and throw our hands up and walk away. We want to you know, here at IT Olives, we see how important it is to follow through um, and walk the whole step with, with those organizations. Nick brings up a, a great point on the policy side. Some organizations choose to do what's called a split tunnel. So Nick at home, you know, he's on his laptop, his corporate laptop do, doing work, but then, uh-oh, you know, he wants to hit that cat video, right? You know, he, <laughs> <laughs> What's that new cat's name that you got? Is it General Mao or something? Mr. Bojangles. General Meow. General Meow. <laughs> but, you know, he's got to hit that cat video. The corporation's policy is going to split that traffic off. So he's going out his ISP, not over the VPN to get that cat video. But then the corporate traffic is going over the VPN to get back to the, the company file share, for example. So we've seen all flavors of, of the above where uh, companies will split off all Microsoft traffic because it's encrypted. So they'll just, they'll split it at the, at the device. So that's going out over the ISP directly. It's all going over the ISP, of course, but it's going right from the ISP to, um, you know, Microsoft, or the, they might say, well, we want all corporate traffic. If we're going to hit the file share, the intranet, whatever it is, that's going to come back to headquarters, so to speak. And then it's going to have access, that traffic will have access. So the, what we saw that happen with COVID where people were going home, tons of people going home all of a sudden, and then now everybody's hitting the corporate network corporate network wasn't necessarily designed to have a majority of the workforce remote at the same time hitting internet mm -hmm. services. So, you know, you got 20 people hitting those cat videos, 200, 2000 people hitting those cat videos mixed in with business traffic is no bueno. So they would cut that off at the end point at the laptop, at the desktop, 
on the remote network, send that over the internet and then just keep the important business traffic um, coming over the VPN. There are pros and cons to both approaches. One of the cons is if you're sending non-work traffic directly out the the ISP, the, 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 the home internet ISP, how do you know if someone is clicking on a malicious link? Now their browser, they clicked on some garbage, their browser is now hijacked and that browser now is riding both networks, the, the dirty network to the ISP and the, the clean network to the VPN. So there's, these things have to be discussed, whiteboarded, things have to be put in place to protect for that. You know, there, there are ways to, to deal with that type of traffic, but um, I, I bring it up because it is an important consideration. Let's really take a step and shout out the help desk people during the COVID. They were the ones getting drug over the coals, all the phone calls that the VPNs weren't working or, or whatever. So quickly wanted to shout those guys and gals out. Unsung heroes, yeah. Absolutely. Unsung heroes, the front lines for IT. We could get a yard sign, you know, they have the, you know, first responders, the police, just the help desk, uh, thank you sign. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like there are some potential security risks associated with using a VPN in an organization. Quickly, Josh, just want to comment on the last bit there. I think the best way to go about using a VPN is know that just because you flip the switch doesn't mean you're safe. I still would, you know level of caution treated as if you really have almost the same level of vulnerability. You have that anonymity, right? You're protected, you're secure, right? But still, just because you turn it on doesn't mean that nothing can happen to you or, or you can do whatever you want. Um, still exercise caution when using a VPN that, you know, things can still happen. But oftentimes, more than not, you're going to be much better off utilizing VPN technology, especially in a, in a vulnerable uh place like an airport, hotel, yes. or a coffee shop. Absolutely. And that, and you, I'm glad you brought that up, Nick, because, you know, Josh, you said you used a VPN, Nick, you used a VPN um, on your, your personal device when you are traveling. Um, an episode on uh, man-in-the-middle attacks, which is what it's called when, when um, a malicious wireless access point uh, impersonates a real access point, so if you're in a coffee shop and you're connected to Starbucks, you think you're connected to Starbucks, but really you're connected to the dude in the hoodie sitting in the corner and he's grabbing all or she is grabbing all of your traffic. He's a pineapple. It sounds like uh, there are still some risks when using a VPN, whether it's personally or uh, in your organization. We've seen some recent news articles about uh, exploitation. Um, Ars Technica article has been circling, circling around the IT Audit Labs team uh, this last week and caught my attention as well. It says a mass exploitation of Avanti VPNs is infecting networks around the globe. Orgs that haven't acted yet should, even if it means suspending VPN services. Hackers suspected of uh, working for the Chinese government are mass exploiting a pair of critical vulnerabilities that give them complete control over virtual private network appliances sold by Avanti, researchers said. Um, since we were circling this around, I wanted to bring it to the today's discussion around VPNs and kind of get your guys' take on this. How would you approach the situation? Sounds like they should just turn them off. Yeah, I mean... Turning off these VPNs is probably the best bet right away. Pull the plug. Um, 
pivot to another technology if you've got people working off site. But uh, those are just quick thoughts, Eric. What 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 was your first thought? What would you want to do in that situation? Depends on the organization and what services they're offering. If they're offering critical services and and the only way into the organization is through that VPN, um, you know, can can you really shut that down? I, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it would be up to that organization's procedures on on how they're going to react to a threat such as as this, especially in, in a known breach case. Um, but that that's what makes our work interesting, right? There's a lot of different scenarios um, for for these types of things. It sounds like depending on the organization, uh, the amount of data they contain and just the nature of their business, there could be several different answers to that question. Um, how do you, in general, address the challenges of managing and moder- monitoring VPN usage in a large uh, workforce or a large organization? <clears throat> so that's an interesting one, Josh, because the, the VPN is essentially it's just like another network. Large organizations will have many networks, and, and this is just one type of connectivity. And I think the, the way in which to best monitor it, monitor it is to log the, the traffic, have security tools in place that analyze the traffic, have a way to report on anomalies that are detected and have some, some form of, of human intervention. In, in this particular case, you know, they, the, the, the zero day was open for a while, it, it sounds like, um, and, and quite a few endpoints, I think like 1,700 of these VPN um, servers were, were impacted. It's really tough to have sophisticated enough tools in your environment that can detect the 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 slow and deep approach that a that a nation state actor is is going to have right you're dealing with an adversary that has unlimited resources and these these nation state actors are successful in attacking companies like Microsoft who has resources that amount to more more than some small countries, right? So it, it's, I don't think there's a magic bullet or a silver bullet, however you want to call it, to protect your organization. I, I think it comes down to having a great security discipline across the board of how you approach data on your network. I think it comes down to going through scenarios of, if this happened, how would we know? Right? There, there's going to be something different happening, almost a needle in a haystack, something different that's happening on the network that is different than normal traffic. And that malicious actor, they're going to try to blend their traffic in with everybody else. But at some point in time, they're going to be doing something that they shouldn't be doing that is a bit of an anomaly in in some cases because it this is really complicated but um it, it's having tools that are able to operate at that level of sophistication yeah i'll, I'll follow up on, on that there's there's a lot here 
a lot of thoughts that I have on what organizations can do. And I'm probably not even going to touch on them all now. I think one thing, a couple things that are overlooked. I know I bring up policies and procedures all the time. I think it's really important that organizations have an app owner, have somebody that owns these functionalities that's constantly honing their craft here. Um, practice what happens in this situation. Um, this should not be tribal knowledge. This should be uh, well known throughout the IT department. What are we going to do in this situation? Draft a policy and procedure. This is a living and breathing document that's always evolving. Um, have those conversations with your younger and junior staff. And then, uh, you know, make sure that you're training your organization. Um, cybersecurity, IT work, you know, right? This isn't stop in the IT department. It doesn't, you know, it's not just for, for our, us to talk about. You know, we, we rely on people outside of the IT department to, you know, be be cognizant of what's happening, to understand what's going on, to listen to the IT staff as well. Um, another good thing would be for organizations, and I'm, I'm digressing, but this all comes back to protecting ourselves, you know, get a newsletter out, you know, don't be afraid to share these kinds of articles with your staff. Getting on a, an update, patch management, make sure that's happening. Um, have a third party organization come in and audit these for best practices. This is not to point fingers or, or, or you know, you've been doing this incorrectly um, <clears throat> to make anybody look bad. This is this is what we do every day. Um, we keep up to date on best practices um, and, and we want to make sure that you're protected. So having somebody come in, do a left seat, right seat to um, ed- not only educate yourself, but make sure you're doing things, you know, from what we see across many different organizations over over many years of work, you know, but summing it all up, you know, it's it's education, it's policies and procedures. Um, we don't want anything to be tribal knowledge, right? If I know it, Eric and Josh should know it um, or know where to find um, that information if I'm not there and this happens or vice versa. So there's a lot here, a lot to talk about. Um you know, the main things that people are going to start with is making sure your software is up to date. Well, right. That's a given. Um, but I think it's really overlooked um, is the training aspect and the auditing aspect, and then also the policies and procedures to protect your organization. Now, I know the policies and procedure is not going to protect you from that, you know, a Chinese nation state actor. But, you know, if you practice, you know, you do those wrong tabletop exercises and you have these policies and procedures, everything works in conjunction, conjunction, you know, to protect your small organization or your large organization. Um, and we could just keep going on this, but you know, those are just some of my quick hitting thoughts that I think any organization could implement and be, and be much more secure right off the bat. Well, you guys are very much experts on this topic. I've learned a lot today. Um, yeah, I would just encourage anyone that's uh, facing these issues or concerned about it to reach out to IT Audit Labs. Um, we got the pros right here, and uh, I hope they informed you today and gave you a little bit uh, to think about as we uh, look to mitigate uh, organizational risk moving forward and also to keep ourselves secure when we're browsing and, and doing our online business. Um, definitely think we'll bring this topic back up. So um, thanks for your time today, Nick and Eric. Um, I hope to see you guys soon, and uh, that will be it for today. You have been listening to The Audit, presented by IT Audit Labs. We are experts at assessing risk and compliance while providing administrative and technical controls to improve our clients' data security. Our threat assessments find the soft spots before the bad guys do, identifying likelihood and impact, while our security control assessments 
rank the level of maturity relative to the size of your organization. Thanks to our devoted listeners and followers, as well as our producer, Joshua J. Schmidt, and our audio video editor, Cameron Hill. You can stay up to date on the latest cybersecurity topics by giving us a like and a follow on our socials and subscribing to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you source your security content. 